Welcome to season four of the Precision Medicine Podcast, sponsored by Trapello. This is the podcast where experts come to discuss the problems oncologists, reference labs, and payers face as precision medicine grows and consider solutions for advancing the quality of patient-centered cancer care. Be sure to subscribe at precisionmedicinepodcast.com to get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox. Welcome to the Precision Medicine Podcast. I'm Jerome Madison, and today we've got Dr. Christian Rolfo, President of the International Society of Liquid Biopsy and Associate Director for Clinical Research at the Center of Thoracic Oncology at the Ish Cancer Institute at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai in New York City. Dr. Rolfo, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation, Ron. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I'm very excited to share this conversation with our listeners today because liquid biopsy, the ability to detect genetic variants from a vial of blood, has the potential to to absolutely revolutionize healthcare and the practice of precision medicine. Um, From a commercial perspective, the projected market cap for liquid biopsy has been projected to exceed $30 billion by 2030. That's an astronomical number, uh, depending on, you know, what news source you read. And Dr. Rolfo, I feel the need to say this for, for all of those listeners who are following current events. This may sound like a familiar story, but we are not talking about Theranos. That's why we've asked Dr. Rolfo, <laughs> who was the lead author on a paper published in the Journal of Thoracic Oncology this past year, which was titled Liquid Biopsy for Advanced Non-Small Lung Cancer, a consensus statement from the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer to come on the podcast and share the scientific findings and his perspectives on this topic. And Dr. Rolfo, I will tell you, reading this paper, and and, uh, there are others out there that are studying various applications of this methodology, it seems that we're only starting to scratch the surface to understand how this can impact the treatment of lung cancer, but also the ability to access genetic information easily and repeatedly can have a huge impact on a number of other diseases. So to begin, can you kind of give us an overview? Because liquid biopsy is kind of a, an umbrella term, but you know, in the paper and in different papers out there, there's different components of what's referred to as liquid biopsy. Can you talk about those components and which of these is making the greatest impact in clinical practice today? Sure, that's a very good question. Uh, liquid biopsy is a big family. So we have there all the circulating biomarkers that we can find in the blood and in other fluids. And it's not only the blood that we are referring to liquid biopsy. It could be also pleural effusion and, and even, for example, CNS fluids or even urine. Uh, generally, what we are referring for liquid biopsy in the clinical application is the, uh, cell, uh, the cell-free DNA or circulating tumor DNA, and that's our fragments of DNA that are circulating in the blood. But also we have microRNAs that are small components of the blood uh, circulating in the blood as well, extracellular vesicles, for example, that are part in the communication between the cells, uh, circulating tumor cells that were the first ones as well uh, there. But we also can refer into liquid biopsy to proteins or even uh, metabolites that are circulating in the blood. So it's a big, big family. 
in the clinical practice, we are using, as I say, a circulating tumor or circulating free DNA. Uh, that is this fragments and uh, and was recently approved the use in uh, by FDA uh, to to not only lung cancer but also other uh, disease with different uh, specific biomarkers and and we are using not only metastatic disease but also there are several studies now uh, involving early stage and uh, minimal residual disease so after the operations for example. Thank you, Dr. Ralfo. So Jerome and I, we work really hard to bring the content of the podcast to our patient audience and families. And so we wanted to start off right from the top by asking you for, for those patients that are impacted by cancer now or, or in the coming years, how will liquid biopsy transform the diagnosis and, and the treatment of the disease for them? Yeah, the, this is a, it's a big question. Obviously, a liquid biopsy is having several advantages that compare with the tissue biopsy. I want to start from the very beginning. So mm-hmm. when we are uh, talking about lung cancer uh, or cancer in general, we are now uh, trying to personalize uh, every single case with different characteristics that the tumor have. So and every patient have different uh, treatments according to this uh, molecular profiling or personalization personalized uh, approach that, that we are doing. We can obtain the information of this tumor in the tissue that is part of that we are, this traditional part that is the, the, the tissue biopsy, or we can do also right now with the recent approval and with the technology, we have a very strong and robust data to apply liquid biopsy as well as a, um, as an, a tool for uh, to obtain this uh, important information. Which information is that is obviously related with the opportunity to the patient to have some uh, special biomarkers that we are targeting with medications. So we have right now uh, new target therapies that are approved and we can uh, start treatment uh, without going to the traditional chemotherapy or chemotherapy and immunotherapy. We can go directly to targeted therapies that are covering these alterations. So liquid biopsy is uh, an important tool. One of the advantages that have also compared with the tissue is the capacity to capture heterogeneity. And that means, uh, just to make a clear example, when you have for when you have an, uh, um, a cake and, uh, and uh, that is, uh, I will try to make it very easy to understand, but when you have a cake, this kind of cake that have different flavors, and, and I give you only the part of the chocolate, in that is, for example, one biopsy is a small part of the the cake, and you can interpret, you can you can say, or you you can uh, find that this cake is only chocolate. But if I show you the complete picture, you can see also all the flavors, and that is what's happening with liquid biopsy. We are able to capture clones of the disease that are not only in the primary tumor, but also in some patients, metastatic patients, for example, this information is also coming from the site of the metastasis. So this is a very important information. We are now also using not only for the detection of these alterations, uh, uh, and we know that uh, fortunately with all the therapies approved, we have a different, completely different opportunities for patients with uh, who are harboring some alterations uh, because the, the the response of the drugs to the drugs and the the opportunities to enter in this special pathway of treatment is giving more 
uh, opportunities to treat, I will say, for these patients. But also we are using the liquid biopsy to monitoring the response to these treatments and to understand only not only the how is the the, the, the the treatment responding, but also the resistant mechanism that are involved in case that the drugs are not working. Uh, so this is a is a is a plethora of opportunities with liquid biopsy because it's a very dynamic compared with a biopsy. You cannot repeat tissue biopsy every time, but you can repeat liquid biopsy very frequently because what we are doing is just a blood draw. It's minimal invasive, uh, and we can have in real time data for monitoring the disease. Very comprehensive, Dr. Rofo. You're a thoracic oncologist, and in this paper. It was a real eye-opener to me that was reported that as few as 18% of non-small lung cancer patients have adequate tumor specimen for complete tissue genotyping, and that was defined as as eight biomarkers. Um, <laughs> that's stunning to me because there's a lot of there's a lot of data out there that shows um, the lack of testing in non-small cell lung cancer, the the, the lack of or the slow rate of adoption of, of full uh, genotyping, but there's not enough talk about this, that there, there's simply not enough tissue. That's stunning. Can you talk more mm. about that? Yeah, the, uh, so the data that, that are there and you're referring is based on some real-world data that are coming, for example, from the NILE study that was a study collecting data from, from real-world patients and, and, and you have there in clinical practice and uh, it's referring specifically to the uh, eight um, uh, guide and, uh, guidelines and recommended biomarkers that we are using. And so having a complete uh, testing for all these biomarkers was very is very limited sometimes in tissue, and obviously that depends of, of the uh, the quality of tissue, the quantity of tissue, and the kind of biopsy that is performed. So if we are doing a cytology that is collecting some cells, obviously that is uh, is very difficult to get a complete information of the molecular profiling because the techniques that we are using to obtain that that we call next generation sequencing or high throughput sequencing is a, a big number of genes that we are analyzing is is different to accomplish with a with a small uh, quantity of tissue it's true that uh, in, in in recent also uh, presentations for example in asco this year was an, a, a very nice presentation coming from the uh, mylan consortium that was uh, is an, a consortium of uh, uh, community doctors uh, working in lung cancer and and they show that only 50% of the patients or around 50% of the patients in lung cancer are tested in this big population. And if we see, for example, what was happening in the rates over the time, the overall population of this study from April, that was 33%, to uh, April 2018 to October or March 2020, we increase a little bit to 45, so it's minimal the increase on testing. If we put together also the disparities, there there was another study presented also in ASCO this year that showed that only 39% of the uh, some groups of uh, disparities like uh, the African-American population was tested. So this means that uh, when we are talking about the big approvals and the fast approval of FDA that was doing a tremendous job in the last two years to approve different drugs, 
we are doing something wrong to 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 test these patients. So we need to to make this uh, happen very quickly in all the patients, and and because we have the technology, it's reimbursed, it's approved. So uh, I don't understand why we are not still having big rates of testing because it's changing completely the the the, the course of the disease in 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 patients. So it's it's important, and it's I would say it's mandatory and it's not ethical to don't have this information before we start any treatment. Yeah. You mentioned the the Nile study, and I don't have that data citation uh, right in front of me. So for those listeners who want more information, that go to the landing page on precisionmedicinepodcast.com for this episode, and we'll have it there. But one of the findings of the Nile study, um, the tissue first approach, 67% of patients had an actionable finding, but with liquid biopsy reflex, 33% more patients were discovered to have an actionable finding. And I think, Dr. Rofel, that centers the question on tissue versus plasma, which do you do first? What were the recommendations of uh, the ISLAC of when to perform plasma testing or liquid biopsy versus a tissue biopsy and then testing the tissue for non-small cell lung cancer patients? Yeah, in 2018, when we published the first version of this statement, we recommended at that time to uh, have a sequential uh, approach. That means uh, when we are using tissue and we don't have sufficient uh, uh, analysis or sufficient tissue to do the analysis, we can go for liquid biopsy as a second place in case that we are not able to to get more tissue. Uh, and then we was using in case that patients have, for example, um, some some biomarkers already discovered, or identified, and, and treated with TKIs with kinase inhibitors for this or these targeted therapies we will call uh, and they progress so liquid biopsy was using as a first approach for discovery which kind of mechanism of resistance was involved uh, in the recent version we are uh, we are talking about other approach and uh, beside the sequential we are talking about the complementary approach that is uh, opportunity to do liquid and tissue and as you say uh, it was demonstrated in this study in Nile, but also in other studies, that uh, the complementarity of liquid biopsy can increase the number of detection or the rate of detections in the patients. And also it's giving a good baseline for later on follow up the patients because when the patients are on treatment, if we want to see if these biomarkers are having a clearance, so it's an, a non-detectable during the treatment, uh, you cannot do a biopsy. You need to do an, an, an you, you need to use liquid biopsy to do that, and also uh, given the opportunity to to do, as I said before, a real-time information. There is also the blood-first approach, and that could happen in some patients that unfortunately we don't have any opportunity to get biopsies, and and that sounds. Weird, but it's, it's not uncommon in the in a clinical practice because sometimes you don't have at the moment of recurrence or when the patient is having a disease that is really difficult to get with a, a needle. Uh, so liquid biopsy could be an, a, an a first approach. Obviously, there is something that we need to remember that there are some patients that are not cheaters, so that patients that could be uh, not having any detection in liquid biopsy, that is a, a very uh, minimal situation, but could happen. And in that patients, we need to have the rebiopsy. And it's, it's, unfortunately, that cases are 
are happening, but, uh, but fortunately are very minimal now with the new technology that we have. Precision Medicine Podcast will continue right after this. With the explosion of new data and biomarkers in cancer today, how can healthcare professionals keep pace to know which genes will best inform treatment decisions? Trapello knows. Trapello is the first single technology platform used by oncologists, labs, and payers to resolve the complexities of precision medicine in real time. Trapello knows which patients to test and when. It knows which tests are most appropriate, which labs are preferred, and which treatments are most likely to be reimbursed. Visit trapellohealth.com to learn how you can give cancer patients the most appropriate, evidence-based treatment options when time matters most. Lung cancer seems to be outpacing a lot of other cancer types, Dr. Rofo, in its use of NGS testing and, and broad-based molecular profiling. Um, but the paper also addresses the limitations and the potential of liquid biopsy in what you call non-oncogene-addicted non-small cell lung cancer. Can you describe this patient type and, and where the opportunities uh, may be for the use of liquid biopsy? Yeah, uh, so there are patients, obviously, the, the biomarkers that we are referring that could be the, the oncogene uh, uh, biomarkers like EGFR, ALG, BRAF, ROS, uh, MED, and other biomarkers that have currently read, for example, and track that have currently a treatment. Uh, there are patients that are not falling in this category, and, and we are using in these patients, obviously, some other treatments, including uh chemotherapy, immunotherapy, or the combination of, of chemotherapy and immunotherapy, or the combination of immunotherapies as well. So in this population, liquid biopsy is doing an, uh, uh, tremendous efforts to try to also find uh, biomarkers to, uh, to, to, pred to predict the overall response and, and the response rate and the overall survival in these patients. And for example, what we are doing in immunotherapy is obviously part of the research. It's not still in the clinical practice, but we are doing, for example, dynamics of DNA. So patients that are, uh, like I said before, in the baseline, we do a determination. We see the quantity of DNA that is present in this sample. And then we see if there is a decrease or increase that what we call dynamics uh, during the treatment. That is an, a surrogate of the response of the patients in some studies. There are also other things that we can do is to calculate the number of mutations, even if the patient doesn't have uh, mutations that are drug-able, we can also have patients who have an important number of mutations, and we calculate this number of mutations that we call tumor mutational burden. And this is also uh, object of a study since uh, was applied in several studies. And still, it's not clear uh, the application. Uh, there are also opportunities to check in liquid biopsy commutations, so mutations that are not really drugable but can impact in the uh, in the activity of the drugs. Uh, that is all part of the research, and we are using this liquid biopsy to try to explain uh, not only the, the response but also to explain mechanics of resistance or, or why patients are not responding even if they have, for example, a tissue PDL1 that is one of the biomarkers that we are using for immunotherapy uh, positive. Thanks for that. Uh, because patients can be tested for mutations more frequently with liquid biopsy, 
clinicians have a, seem to have a huge wave of genomic data crashing over them more frequently, Dr. Rolfo. The ISLAC also recommended routine molecular tumor boards to help with the appropriate interpretation of this, this wave of data. Can you share why that's important? Yeah, that's a, a crucial point, I would say, because uh, this kind of forum of discussions that are uh, multidisciplinary with experts of different uh, approach of the genomic uh, um, the genomic application in, in clinical cancer or in clinical practice, and that includes not only oncologists but also biologists, genetists, uh, uh, nursing, counselors. Uh, so there are uh, a big number of people that is expert in this area with different. Uh, point of view, and we are uh, meeting uh, regularly to discuss case by case and to try to uh, to give to the patient the best opportunity to treatment. We are using for that some level of evidence that there are some uh, publications regarding that. So we are using level of evidence for categorizing these alterations in order to give to the patient opportunities or in the in the standard of care or even allocating the patients in, in clinical trials that are available in the in the region for, for different patients. So this is, I think, it's a, it's, it's a very important opportunity for for patients, but uh, especially uh, for patients, but also for for physicians and, and and healthcare team, because this, as you say, this is a tsunami of genetic information that we need to to have the the help of others to to understand a little bit better what we can uh, what we can do with this, how we can interpret that, and and, and help the patients. That's the meaning of all this. Yeah. With you being at a at a renowned you know cancer center and being a specialist in in lung cancer, um, you guys have the staff or the expertise in house. But you know the vast majority of cancer patients in the U.S. are treated in the community. What about community centers who who don't have that expertise? How how are they to facilitate these molecular tumor boards? Yeah, so the, the, generally the, the small centers, they can associate with a, a center of reference for this. And we have referral centers and we have here, uh, for example, in tumor boards, people that is from other hospitals or community practice that they can share the case. And also if there are opportunities uh, within societies, for example, uh, ASCO, the American Society of Clinical Oncology is also offering uh, molecular tumor boards for discussion of patients. So I think it's, it's just uh, the, the opportunity that we need to try to find looking for networking. Uh, nowadays, it's, it's, it's difficult to think that one doctor can give all the answers to the patients because we have we need a team and that is the important to have this this discussion. So, if you have a, if you are a cancer patient treated in a community hospital, that doesn't mean that your doctor will not be connected with uh, with big centers to discuss your case. And and, and it's, it's, it's important that we, as a as a doctor, as a, as a patient as well, uh, try to to find if that is happening in the cases because it's it's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, as we wrap this up, Dr. Rolfo, you, you've given us so much to think about, and, there, and there's, there seems to be so much more uh, depth to this specific methodology of testing. You know, just in these last few minutes, you've given us uh, the ability of circulating tumor cells for genotyping for non-small cell lung cancer, 
to be able to track response to therapy, minimum residual disease. And we recently had a conversation with Longevity, which is a patient advocacy group for, for lung cancer you may be familiar with. And for that group and for a number of other tumors, early detection just seems like, you know, the holy grail. In fact, there was a seminal book published in 2010 titled The Emperor of All Maladies by Siddhartha McCurchie, which earned the Pulitzer Prize and is on Time Magazine's top 100 nonfiction books of all time. If you have not heard of it, please go check yes. that out. But um, it's an essentially a biography of cancer from the earliest documented understandings of cancers to the conclusion of that book when it was written in, you know, the 2000, you know, zeros. Um, the future pointed to state-of-the-art hopes for the future that included the Cancer Genome Atlas and gene editing technology, which 10 years later, 11 years later, we have today. Dr. Rolfo, could the capability of liquid biopsy be the missing link to win the war on cancer? I know I'm reaching there, but what do you think? Yeah, so early detection, obviously, as you say, is a, is a big, big uh, opportunity for for cure patients and for for increase the the survival rates of our patients. So liquid biopsy is doing an important advance there in um, in the technology and in the knowledge. We have nowadays some technologies that are uh, in in almost uh, in the commerce. It's not still uh, completely approved, but we have, for example, methylation that is. Uh, one of the technologies of DNA, and and obviously the the percentage of patients that we are capturing with these technologies is not it's not still a hundred percent. So we have still some gaps there that we need to solve, and uh, certainly there are several new technologies, including collaboration with, uh, for example, images. If we are willing to increase the rate of the screening programs, for example, in lung cancer. Uh, I think in, in the future methods like methods like uh, radiomics, for example, integrated with a liquid biopsy can be helping these populations to be detected easily. So we don't have a still the technology to be in a hundred percent patients, but there is an important uh, progress on that. Uh, the same is happening with the minimal residual disease. That is another big topic when we are. Uh, doing pay surgery to patients uh, with early stage, and and then we want to know how these patients will recurrence, uh, or or when these patients will recurrence. Liquid biopsy uh, is uh, is is involved in all these studies, and and actually we are waiting for some results of these studies to apply this in the in the clinical practice in the future. But I, I'm I'm really sure and confident that we will have good results in a very short time and and we will have opportunity to to change this uh in a future in a, in a near future and that's my hope for this year as well fascinating dr christian rolfo go ahead i, I was just gonna say we're already set up for, for part two here <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm happy to do it when you when you invite me again Absolutely. We, right. if, if we can fit it into your busy schedule, thank you so much for taking time, Dr. Christian Rolfo, President of the International Society of Liquid Biopsy and Associate Director of Clinical Research at the Center for Thoracic Oncology at the Itch Cancer Institute. 
at Mount Sinai in New York City. Uh, before we get you out of here, um, for those who want to connect with you on Twitter or your social media, where can they reach you? Yeah, uh, so I have my Twitter that is uh, Christian Rolfo. It's easy to, to find. And I have also LinkedIn that is my my complete name. Uh, so it was a pleasure to be here. And thank you very much for the invitation. Absolutely. Thanks for being um, with us. We learned that you're a big opera fan. And in New York City, you know, the, the Broadway has been closed down. You have a beautiful voice, Dr. Rolfo. Are you, are you a singer at all? No, not at all. I'm enjoying the singers, but I'm not. You know, Jerome, I bet Dr. Rolfo's shower has a different answer to that question. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> we, all, we all sound great in the showers. <laughs> I'm not a, an opera, uh, I, I, an opera lover, but not an opera singer. So, and, and, and you're right here in, you know, in New York, we have a, a lot of opportunities. So, and also you can access to that by virtually now with all this pandemic was also given the opportunity to get uh, also access to this uh, technology, with the technology to, to the, to the art as well. And that was a, a positive things of all this difficult time. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have a favorite show that's on Broadway now? Uh, not really. I, I need to take uh, time for, for that. I was in the opera uh, recently seeing the, the Magic Flout and it was a gorgeous presentation. Uh, but I need to have a little bit more time to, to Broadway. I hope with these numbers of COVID that are going down in the, in the future when all the people get vaccinated uh, and we come back to, to, to the normal life and enjoying cities like New York. Absolutely. Dr. Rolfo, we can't thank you enough for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk to us about uh, the, the utility and the potential of liquid biopsy. Thank you for being a guest on the Precision Medicine Podcast. Thank you. You've been listening to the Precision Medicine Podcast, sponsored by Trapello. Trapello is the first clinical decision support tool to align the interests of oncologists, labs, and payers to give patients the best chance at beating cancer. To learn more, visit gettrapello.com. To subscribe to the podcast or download transcripts of any episode, visit precisionmedicinepodcast.com. We invite you to join the conversation on social media. You can find us on Twitter at PMP by Trapello and on LinkedIn at the Trapello company page. If you know someone who would enjoy the Precision Medicine Podcast, please share it. They'll thank you, and so will we. We hope you'll tune in for the next episode. <laughs>